Welcome to the Prophecy Club. I had an accident playing racquetball last night. I got hit in the face with a racquetball racket and five stitches on the outside and two stitches on the inside and the whole side of my face all swollen. And it looks like a basketball so bad that my staff said, uh, no, don't show them. <laughs> don't show them that face. So here's what I'm going to do. We are going to make an unbelievable offer if I can talk, for the next few days until I can get this down to a reasonable size, and then we'll resume our normal broadcast. So what we're going to do is post up one of the most amazing videos we have on archaeology, and we're going to make four of them free for the month of February. So let me explain. First of all, it's going to be free until February 28th of 2022 at Watch prophecyclub.com. Watch prophecyclub.com. First one is uh, Archaeology Confirms the Bible. Now, the story on this was in 1991. Of course, the video technology was not as good as it is today, but nevertheless, I got a brand new VCR with the best quality videotape that I could get. Leslie and I went on a tour, an archaeology tour with Ron Wyatt, and we got shot some amazing video on this two-week tour, we saw Noah's Ark, Anchor Stone, Sulphur Balls, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the rocket Moses struck, giant bones of pre-flood people, Golgotha. It also has the best talk of Ron explaining how he found the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. The golden chair of God has been found, and he explains it. And when you see this, you won't have any question. You will know he's telling the truth. That's going to be free. Again, for the month of February at WatchProphecyClub.com. The next one is, I came back several years later in 2012. I made this video because I saw that there was so much more I needed to explain. So it's based upon the information I saw on the two-week tour. But I do a good job of explaining Noah's Ark, the crossing side of the Red Sea, Jesus' tomb, many other amazing discoveries, the existence of Noah's Ark, how it has been proven to be a fact and confirms the accuracy of the Bible. See, the devil knows all of this has been found, so he can only present decoys so that people won't find the truth. But these videos will show you the truth. Again, free at WatchProphecyClub.com until February 28th. Free. You can go there and watch all four of these videos at WatchProphecyClub.com. Now, normally it's a $20 a month donation to $200 a year, but you can go watch them free for until February 28th. Now, the one you're about to listen to is uh, one made in April 2004 by Michael Rood. And here he's talking about the Red Sea crossing, the real Mount Sinai, the wilderness journey. Michael takes you into one of the most thrilling archaeological discoveries of modern-day Israel, Michael presents the most recent photographs, video footage, and archaeology uh, artifacts smuggled out of Mount Sinai, smuggled out of Mount uh, Saudi Arabia, and displays a grinding stone from Mount Sinai, which may be used to grind manna to make bread. He also shows Israeli arrowheads that litter the desert of Midian, the intact remains of the altar of the golden calf of Moloch, the rock at Rephidim, which split in half at the blow of Moses' staff, and still evidences the erosion caused by millions of gallons of water pouring from the center of the rock. You'll also see Har Karkum, one of Israel's camping locations, 
during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You also see some of the 40,000 petroglyphs, which the Israelites chiseled in stone to mark their territory, according to God's promise to Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. You will also see underwater high-resolution robotic camera footage of coral encrusted remains of Pharaoh's chariots, including a golden-covered chariot wheel. You'll also see footage of an ancient Torah scroll smuggled out of Iraq just before the fall of Saddam Hussein. Michael shares a new revelation from God on how Zachariah's thermonuclear war fits into the end-time scenario. Four DVDs, all for free, up until February 28th of 2022 at watchprophecyclub.com. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go over and play clips over the next several days until my face heals up <laughs> enough to come and talk before you again. And uh, so here, here's some more clips. Go watch all of this at watchprophecyclub.com. It's for free. Watchprophecyclub.com. A Saudi prince flew in on a helicopter from Riyadh with two archaeologists from Riyadh University, went down and interrogated Wyatt, listened to him, put him on a chopper, flew him out to this mountain, and when they saw what Wyatt showed them, when he showed them an altar made of unhewn stones, and on this huge altar out there in the desert made of unhewn stones were petroglyphs, carvings, rock carvings of the cow and bull gods, Apis and Hathor, the Egyptian cow and bull gods. When the archaeologists saw this, they said, this is Egyptian. This has never been part of Midianite or Arabian culture. They knew what it was, and they immediately erected a 10-foot chain-link fence around the base of it, around the entire altar. Around the entire base of Mount Sinai, they put this 10-foot chain-link fence with barbed wire, a guard shack, and an archaeological site by royal decree, no trespassing. They knew this was Mount Sinai. Wyatt was immediately released, but he never was able to get back into Saudi Arabia. He left without a shred of evidence. Many years later, while I was working with Ron, down at the museum, he gave me some video footage of the altar to the golden calf and some photographs. And, he's, and I asked him, where did you get these? And he said, he can't tell me because the people's lives would be in danger. Okay, that's enough. That's fine. Last year, I was traveling in a southern state and doing a meeting one evening and at the end of that meeting, a couple came up to me and said, where did you get that video footage of the altar to the golden calf in Mount Sinai? Where did you get these pictures? I said, they were given to me by the archaeologist that found the site, but he told me that he can't tell me where he got them because the people's lives would be in danger. The gentleman looked at me and he said, right answer, we're the people. We're the people. I am an oil field engineer. For 13 years, I worked for Saudi Aramco. I have over 200 hours of high-resolution video footage. I have thousands of photographs, and we want you at our house tomorrow morning for Shabbat because everything that we have is yours to use to help get this message out. 
Well, you know where I was the next morning. <laughs> this was the treat. This was the reason that I was on this grueling schedule, and I didn't even want to stop at this place and teach. I was so exhausted, but all of a sudden as I was praying, I knew I was to show up. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know it was that special. And so tonight, I am going to be able to show you things that we have only hoped that one day we would be able to see. And so I'm going to allow Jim Caldwell, the oil field engineer for Saudi Aramco, who is now safely back in the United States, to tell the story concerning the altar to the golden calf. Across the valley floor from the base of Mount Sinai lie the remarkably preserved remains of the altar to the golden calf. Once again, I was miraculously able to slip inside the fence undetected and record the images of cattle literally covering these rocks. These petroglyphs, or rock carvings, represent distinctly Egyptian gods, with Hathor be, being the female representation and Apis the male. These gods were actively worshipped in Egypt during the time that the Israelites were held captive there. The story is relayed to us in the 32nd chapter of Exodus, where the people grew restless waiting for Moses to return from the top of Mount Sinai. The people told Aaron, Up, make us gods to go before us. Aaron took their gold and fashioned for them a molten calf with a graving tool. What is intriguing about the story is that he fashioned a single idol, yet said, in sight of all of Israel, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The scripture makes the same point later in the chapter when Aaron is explaining to what, what happened to Moses. He claims the people wanted gods to come before them. So he took their gold out, and out came a calf, once again singular. Looking at this site, however, the scripture becomes beautifully clear. Aaron prepared an altar to the idol, and then set the calf on the very top. The cattle you see here were carved right into the rocks upon which it sat. Standing back from the spectacle, one would have seen a golden calf sitting atop the rock carvings of Apis and Hathor, their former Egyptian gods. The calf, along with the images beneath it, would have been correctly spoken of as plural. These be thy gods, O Israel. It is noteworthy to mention that cattle have never been native to Saudi Arabia. These Egyptian gods, carved in stone, found here near the foot of the mountain, surely give us yet another piece of evidence proving the certain truth of the Word of God. It is here at Mount Sinai where we have the record of the first time that a feast to the Lord is declared. And it is done right here at this altar to the golden calf. And it says in Exodus, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down that they said to Aaron, Get up and make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, we have no idea what's become of him. Now the word delayed in this English language is much like the word returned. When we say that someone returned, that means that they were there before and they've come back. When the word delayed is used, it indicates that there is a time in which they are expected to come, but that expectation is delayed. 
Moses delayed to come down. And when he delayed to come down, the evil that was in their heart was manifested. If he would have come down when they expected him, probably everything would have been okay. But Moses delayed, and so they finally said, as for this Moses character, we have no idea what's become of him, so Aaron, make us gods that will go before us. And Aaron built an altar before the golden calf, and Aaron made proclamation, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. Every time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D in the English versions of the Bible, in the Hebrew, it is always yod heh vav Yahweh, the name of the Lord. The Lord is not a name. It's simply a title given to every British landowner for the past thousand years. When we read in the English version of the Bible, praise the name of the Lord, you might rightly say, I would like to. What is it? Because in Hebrew it says, praise the name of Yahweh. In the English when it says, all those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, you might say, well, I'd like to be saved. What's his name? Because in Hebrews it says, in the book, in the Hebrew language, it says, all those that call upon the name of Yahweh shall be saved. That's why in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament, it says that the Son has come in the Father's name. The Son's name is Yahshua. Yah, which is the poetic short form of Yahweh, and Shua, which is the contracted form of Yeshua, which means salvation. Yahweh Yeshua. Yahweh is our salvation. That is the name of our Lord, of our Savior. And I, I use his, uh, you know, I guess you could call his Gentile nickname Jesus. I use that once in a while so people in the Western world know who I'm talking about. But, you know, we did part of our television show in which we do a man-on-the-street interview. And we did one of these man-on-the-street interview episodes in downtown Jerusalem. And we asked a very interesting question. And we said, uh, the, the question was, do you speak Hebrew? First of all, we found out that they spoke English. And we said then do you speak Hebrew? And they answered, yes, we, we speak Hebrew. And so I then asked the question, what does the name Jesus mean in Hebrew? And they would get a very confused expression and say, well, Jesus doesn't mean anything because Jesus is not a Hebrew word. Exactly our point. Yahshua, they know. Yahshua means Yahweh is our Yeshua our salvation. And so when Aaron spoke these words, he made a golden calf and literally said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. And the Lord blessed Israel because he was so moved by their passionate display of devotion to him in that they dedicated a pagan festival to him just as they had learned from the Egyptian sun god worshipers. Those of you who cannot see the reference to that, that is found in Second Opinions, chapter 5, verse 17. Now those of you who may not be that familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, there is no book of Second Opinions. 
In fact, it says, And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Leave me alone, that my wrath may wax hot, and that I may consume them. He wanted to toast us all. Why? He just got through saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Literal in the Hebrew, no other gods in my face. I don't want to see them. I don't want to smell them. I don't want to be reminded of these pagan gods that the Canaanites have brought into the land or that you have been worshiping in Egypt. I want no other gods in my face. He said, I don't want the name of other gods to even come out of your mouths. He said, do not learn the way of the heathen. Do not learn how they worship and serve their gods and do the same thing and say you're doing it to me. It's an abomination, which in Hebrew means utterly repulsive, repugnant, putrid, and vile. That is what the Almighty says. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And the very issues that got the Canaanites thrown out of the land, the very issues that got Israel thrown out of the land are the very issues that we are now dealing with in our religious culture in America and around the world. Moses interceded for us and we were not consumed. But the Almighty had an intermediate remedy for this. Moses ground up the golden calf, he ground it into powder, and then he put it in the drinking water. And then we were all to drink the water with the powder of the gold from the golden calf. Now, any medical professional will tell you that drinking that concentration of gold would produce profuse, unstoppable diarrhea. We could get the gold back. (laughs) But you know, sometimes it's just not worth mining through your old religious systems to find a few nuggets of truth. (laughs) Now, I want to take you to Mount Sinai and tell you why we have the videos here in front of you to this very day. Jim and Penny Caldwell were in Saudi Arabia, and as had happened for the several years previous to this, every year they are, they are required to leave Saudi Arabia for one month out of the year. They have to transfer back to the United States, but this year something happens And Jim told me that he felt a compulsion to go to Mount Sinai that was so strong that it was like he knew that the Almighty was going to speak to him. He felt like he was going to see the burning bush. He said he he couldn't describe it, but it was so powerful that they canceled their plans to go to the United States. They packed up the children, Luke and Chelsea, and they went over to Arabia. They went over to Egypt. When they got over to Egypt, they went to St. Catherine's Monastery, Helena's Mount Sinai, and when they got there, a morbid depression fell over them immediately. They couldn't even describe what was going on. They went up Mount Sinai, 
in Egypt, they got up there and they were just depressed. With all this expectation of something great happening, and then they were depressed beyond words. They didn't know what was going on. Almost in tears. They felt like they were led by the Holy Spirit to come to Mount Sinai, but yet they got there and it was nothing but a dry well. It was so disappointing that they turned away and went down to Sharm el-Sheikh on the Yom Suf, on the Gulf of Aqaba, to a vacation resort to try to relax and try to recover from this. When they got down there, in the bookstore was a large coffee table-sized book by Emmanuel Anati, a an Italian Jew, who had found one of the camping sites of the Israelis during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Har Karkum was found by Anati on the Egyptian-Israeli border, and there Israel camped for an extended period of time and chiseled over 40,000 petroglyphs into the rocks of that whole region. They saw these petroglyphs, amazed by them, and realized there was nothing like this at St. Catherine's, at Helena's Sinai. But that was the end of it. After a few days vacationing, they went up further north. They stopped at Nueva, Egypt. Jim went in, checked in at a hotel, and as he was signing in, the owner of the hotel rolled out a hand-drawn map for apparently no reason and began to talk to Jim about this. And as he looked at this hand-drawn map, the owner of the hotel explained that he was given a camera and a certain sum of money from an American who paid him to go over to this mountain shown on this hand-drawn map over in Arabia during his next pilgrimage to Mecca and to photograph and to film this location. Because this person, this American archaeologist, had gone over there and found what he said was Mount Sinai. He was put in prison and he was ejected out of the country without any evidence and asked if this man would video this and then smuggle it out of the country and get it to him. Jim looked at this and said, this is my oil field. This is the Midian oil field. I know this land. This is my oil field. And he went right back after finding and plotting the fastest way to get there and went over and found that the Arabian government had put a chain link fence all the way around the altar of the golden calf. They completely encircled the bottom of the mountain. He found exactly what Ron Wyatt had written on this map. And now, for the next nine years, he is going to video, he is going to photograph, and he is going to smuggle artifacts out of Saudi Arabia of the real Mount Sinai. From high atop the jagged pinnacle of Mount Horeb in northwest Saudi Arabia, we found ourselves gazing in awe toward the south at the majestic beauty of Mount Sinai. Blackened and different from all its surrounding companions, this mountain stands apart at first glance. As we began our climb up the northern flank of this unique mountain, 
the dividing line between light and dark granite became glaringly obvious. Exodus 24:17 records that the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of this mountain. And now, sitting on Sinai's very peak, the color of these rocks can truly be seen. Coming into view now is the granite peak called the Brown Laws by ancient maps. After extensive research, we believe that Horeb and Sinai are two distinct mountains, and that is why they're referred to that way in Scripture. But for now, we'll go back to our view from the top of Sinai, and as you can see here, the valley floor below is enormous and well able to contain the huge numbers comprising those who came out of Egypt. About halfway up the eastern face of Sinai is this hidden valley that can't be seen from below. Exodus 24, 9 and 10 tells us of a meeting of the Lord with Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel. They saw God at a distance and as it were a pavement of sapphire under his feet. And glancing upward to where the glassy blackness appears, it's not difficult to imagine a deep blue shine here from the glory of the Lord. Looking all the way down into the camp, we get our first glimpse of the altar to the golden calf. Fenced and forbidden by the Saudis to enter, we would have to devise a plan to get close-up footage of this on another trip. In the same manner, close into the base of Sinai, we saw the clear image of a double-wall corral leading up to a slaughter area and an altar of earth and uncut stone. Just behind the altar is a dry stream bed running from the mountain all the way into the valley below. Moses cast the remnants of the golden calf into the brook that came out of the mount, according to Deuteronomy 9.21. Here you can see the fence that the Saudis have erected to keep people out of this area. It is extensive and encloses a guard outpost visible here. They are quite serious about keeping the eyes of the world off this mountain. Jim and Penny, as they spent nine years in this area of Sinai, Jim told me that the oil of Midian is the lightest, sweetest crude oil in the world. The Saudis have not even touched it. They haven't even tapped it because they don't need it. But yet, it is the sweetest in the world. And he said that you could literally take it out of the ground, put it in your car's engine, and run it. It is that pure. This is a photograph of them in their recent trip in May. Jim and Penny went over and they took Leonard Muller from Karolinska Institute with them and they were able to get uh, official pass into the country, and they took with them Tim Mahoney of Mahoney Media, who is producing a new video on the Exodus case, which will be three hours in duration, which is going to be hopefully available uh, on public television. And so when that is available, we will have that, of course, available on our website, and uh, hopefully in uh, this video we'll see even more of their particular work. Here we see up on the mountain, that small blue dot in the middle, that is Jim and Penny and their two children, that is their campsite, half the way up Mount Sinai, to keep far away from the guard trucks that run down below so that they are not detected. Their lives are in jeopardy each time they go out there because they are trespassing onto forbidden territory. Just east of Mount Horeb, and well north of the base of Mount Sinai, a massive graveyard lies undisturbed behind another archaeological fence the Saudis have erected. In this never-before-released footage, you can clearly see the ancient headstones dispersed throughout the area. My dad and I secretly slipped inside this fence to obtain proof on film of this remarkable site. 
We know according to Exodus 32:28 that at least 3,000 men died after worshiping the golden calf, and by Levitical law, would have to be buried outside the main camp. Back to the valley, a small white building is surrounded by a rectangular fence. We believe this was built over the ruins of the original tabernacle. Oddly enough, in a high plain between Horeb and Sinai, another rectangular set of stone ruins has been left alone. Moses moved the tabernacle away from the main camp after the golden calf incident. Evidence of this is plainly found here. On their way up into this high pasture, Mom and Dad found another surprise waiting for them. Amazing because of its rarity, an enormous cedar appears out of nowhere, with two others that are actually attached by root systems to this one. As you can see from the sparse landscape with Mount Sinai in the background, there are no others on any of these mountains. Cedars do not grow in this area at all. Why was this one here? Upon closer inspection, the trunk of this cedar is more than 8 feet thick. Smaller olive trees in Israel have been found to be over 2,000 years old. Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro when he turned aside to see the burning bush, and God spoke to him directly. Could this be that very plant? My sister Chelsea and I were also with my parents when we located the almond trees. These are important to find on the mountain because Aaron's rod was made from an almond tree and budded and produced ripe almonds according to number 17.8. The bowls of the golden candlestick were also fashioned after the almond tree. Just as an interesting note, Horeb and Sinai are also covered with fig trees. Though a subject of much debate, the nation of Israel has many times been referred to as the fig tree in prophecy. They are to be found only on these two mountains. Finally, quail can be seen all over the area to this day. It is theorized that they fly in huge numbers over the sea from Egypt, only to fall to the ground exhausted on the Arabian side. Exodus 16.13 reads, And it came to pass at evening, and the quails came up and covered the camp. And here is the corral leading up to the altar, and we'll let Jim Caldwell tell the story. From above, the outline of a double-wall corral is visible at Sinai's base. Next to it is a slaughter platform and the altar. The stream bed can be seen running behind and around the corral, as well as the white pillars out in front. From well inside the forbidden fence, I soon discovered the Saudis had completed a partial excavation of this site in 1996. You can plainly see the outlines of the slaughter platform and the corral directly behind it. Next to that is a pit, complete with layer upon layer of ash and the access area to the sacrificial altar. In Exodus 24-5, young men sacrificed many oxen as peace offerings to the Lord there at Sinai. This large corral would have been necessary to lead them up to the slaughter platform. There they would have been sacrificed and the blood captured in basins, and Moses would have placed the offerings into the fire directly behind him. The altar itself was just beyond the fire, and there he sprinkled the blood.
Just in front of the corral and the altars are the remains of white pillars and their foundation stones. We have found them to be made of a crude alabaster and discovered the source of this stone near the crossing site of the Red Sea. Moses built an altar and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel as recorded in Exodus 24.4. These pillars are each of differing sizes, possibly according to the number of each tribe of Israel that they represented. As you can see, they are very, very well preserved. Looking back upward from the altar area, a large cave is visible from below. First Kings 19, 8 and 9 tell us that Elijah came to Horeb, mountain of God, and then found a cave to lodge in. This is yet another bit of evidence needed to identify Mount Sinai, found here at Jebel Laws. I was only able to get inside this cave once, but it was well worth this spectacular view of the valley below. Terry Salka is a prophecy student, and he reads his King James Bible, and he believes in winning souls so much he is supporting the Prophecy Club so that we can win more souls. So if you want to support someone that loves prophecy and wants to win souls, I'm going to send you to cornerstoneassetmetals.com where you can get all sorts of precious metals, gold, silver, rhodium, palladium, and things like that. cornerstoneassetmetals.com These days, emergency food is mostly sold out, but... HeavensHarvest.com has all sorts of emergency supplies and food in stock. Their food comes in square stackable buckets, breakfast, entree, protein, fruits and vegetables. I recommend you have at least 12 months of food for each person in your family. Receive a free box of heirloom seeds when you enter the promo code STAN at HeavensHarvest.com. Promo code STAN. So Leslie Johnson, I'm a prophecy student. Why should I come to your Train the Prophets? The reason you want to come to train the prophets is because you want to do more work for God. You want to be trained and equipped. And this is a safe place to come. You'll be able to prophesy more accurately. You'll know how to lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. But you're going to also know how to hear the voice of the Lord and be more accurate and understand he is speaking. That's why you want to come to train the prophets. Go to traintheprophets.com. Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.